0: You are entering the Freedom Hut.
1: The Democrat Debate, part two. Quite a bit of crazy, quite a bit of socialism, open borders. Oh, my. We're going to have some fun on this Friday, pulling apart all the nutso stuff from the left. Coming up on the Buck Sexton Show.
0: Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence.
1: Russia. One more family.
0: Make no mistake.
1: America. Ready. You're a great American again.
0: This is the Buck Sexton Show.
1: Activate. Former CIA analyst.
0: Former member of the NYPD.
1: Like I could speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime.
2: It is Buck Sexton. Now.
0: Yeah, I've been watching
1: the debates a little bit in between meetings and uh i wasn't impressed but when you look at the socialism and you look at what it can do that's what you're talking about there and that's become like the socialist party in fact i heard there's a rumor the democrats are going to change the name of the party from the democrat party to the socialist party i'm hearing that but let's see if they do it welcome to the buck Action show everybody coming to you live from new york city I'm watching that debate last night. I was at a little debate-watching party, a bunch of conservatives here in New York, that they do exist, believe it or not. I think we're outnumbered in Manhattan, 8-1, to one. but here we go, Producer Mike, there's a few of us running around. Yeah, I thought it would be way higher than that, but yeah, it's... I mean, I actually thought it was higher than that, too, but I heard 8-1 to one last night was the right, number right. I was told, so it makes sense, because there's, there's a lot of stealth conservatives here, you know True. what I mean? You don't, they don't want to talk about it, but... Yeah. And there's still some capitalists. hearts and minds every day. That's what I'm doing. That's how we roll. So it was uh, quite an event last night. This. Debate part two, two nights, ten candidates at a time. Turned into a free for all at some points. There was a lot of squabbling, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that going on. Um, I would say this to you: Think about, for those of you who watch the debate, I'll just put this out there. Think about a uh, what the Democrats would do differently from what they are currently proposing to do. If their plan was to destroy our economy and make our country much less free and much poorer, what would they do differently? Now, now, really think about that, because I understand that's a that's a somewhat inflammatory thing to say. It's essentially if the Democrats wanted to destroy this country, what policies would they would they advocate for now? differently because you it wouldn't be true if you said oh but buck well they would just say why don't we start a big war with some foreign country which maybe they'll do that at some point but no no because then they wouldn't get elected but if their plan was to say stuff that would put them in power and to push policies that once they were in power would be disastrous for america i think they've got a pretty i think they've got a pretty good platform going Green New Deal, which is just green socialism, put them in charge of everything, make energy much more energy, much more expensive, shut down drilling wherever they can push for nonsense, boondoggle green energy programs all over the place. Promise a government green energy job for everybody. It's just going to be bureaucrats pushing around paper, pretending to create energy. You know, uh, Medicare for all, wildly expensive, completely completely impossible for our budget to handle. They say that, oh, there'll be all these savings. Those savings are magic. It's never going to happen. Oh, n- no deportations, full amnesty, nicer and comfier uh, accommodations across the board for people that come into the border illegally. Make sure that they're let into the country without so much as a simple check. Uh, open borders, an erosion, a destruction of American sovereignty. So we've already got, run the debt up into the into just the stratosphere beyond where it already is. It's already a huge problem, but just, you know, take the debt to 30, 50 trillion. Who cares? Medicare for all free stuff, free stuff, free college, wipe away 1.6 trillion in student loans. Just socialize that loss and the rest of us. Uh, What am I missing? Oh yeah. Destroy the family. Say there's no such thing as male, female gender Uh, abortion on demand. All nine months of a pregnancy paid for by you, the taxpayer, even if you think it's murder, um what else am I missing? What else is there? Oh, and 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 white male privilege is the one thing that everybody can blame for all of their problems. I think if you were trying to kick at the load-bearing walls of America, that's a pretty good start. If if your plan was to just bring this whole thing crumbling down and 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 make it anew in some socialist utopian progressive Marxist dream. Those are all pretty good ways to go about it. Now you could say, but Buck, come on, that's extreme. Uh, Well, okay, but last night was extreme. There were moments last night that even for me as somebody who works in politics or covers politics, I should say for a living were uh, a bit of a flabbergasting moment was nearly dumbfounded, for example, when the Democrats, this should be an easy one. And I can't really, I want to play the audio, even though you won't see what happened. But this was, the, for me, the single most powerful, most important moment of the entire debate last night. We'll get into the Biden-Harris throwdown later. That's more internal Democrat stuff. What affects you? What affects this country? What's going to matter to you and to all of us going forward? That is American sovereignty and rule of law and how immigration or illegal immigration specifically and illegal aliens in this country and the continued massive inflow, a mass migration of illegal aliens into the United States is occurring right now. And when Democrats are asked in front of millions and millions of their fellow Americans. Well, what are you what are you willing to do for illegal aliens and really embedded in this question is how will you treat american citizens and in a way that it's clear you privilege their interests above non-citizens which i know this seems really mean to democrats i know this seems like oh it's it's an inhumane and terrible thing to say but our government which has sovereignty over u.s soil but also has a a relationship to all of us and makes claims on us our government makes claims on your property through the tax code. Our government makes claims on your action through the legal code, makes claims on your life through selective service. I mean, you know, there, there's a lot that goes into this. But the Democrats and the left are no longer comfortable with a government that says citizens should be privileged. The state should work, the big S state, the federal government, to privilege the interests of citizens over non-citizens. Who are here illegally. I'm not even talking about Green holders. I'm talking about people that are not supposed to be in the country. That are here in direct violation of federal law. When the Democrats on that stage were asked. What would you be willing to do when it comes to health care for illegals? Here is how that went. Play one.
3: Raise your hand if, gov- if your government plan would provide coverage for undocumented immigrants.
1: Every hand on that stage, every Democrat on that stage raised a hand. Every single one of them. Now, I just want to take a step back for a second here. You'll recall that some of us, and I was one of them on the right, were warning all along that with the massive government health care bill known as Obamacare put forward, and all that that would do and all the increases in government control over health care and everything that it would do, it was only a matter of time before they would expand this to illegals. In Hillary's campaign, and this did not get much coverage from the media, but it was on her campaign website, she had as part of her platform that illegals could be under Obamacare, but they just would not get the subsidies. So we went from Obama. Oh, remember when when that man yelled out, "You lie!" The member of Congress that Obama and everyone said it was so racist and terrible because Obama said that it wouldn't. And th- that was over this issue, whether Obamacare would cover illegals. Well, now effectively, I mean, Obamacare just really expanded Medicaid, which is government paying for your health care. Now we're moving towards single payer, and yeah, guess what? Now they do want to give money to illegals for their health care. Money comes from you. They're going to take money from you under pain of imprisonment if you don't want to give it so you don't pay your taxes you go to prison but they're going to take money from you now and they're going to use that money to pay for abortions oh for illegals as well by the way including illegals who are uh, juveniles caught at the border liberals get very upset if if that doesn't happen and they want to take money from you to pay for the health care of people who are not supposed to be in this country at all well once that happens Once it's clear that you can directly benefit from the American welfare state, courtesy of the American taxpayer, and you don't even have to obey our laws to get here, all you have to do is get here. It is open season. This is forced theft from American citizens. They are stealing from you to give to people that under the social contract and the constitution of this country should not be receiving anything from you. But it's about power and the Democratic Party's future voting blocks. And so they're willing to steal from you legalized theft to give to people who are in violation of the law. And if you have a problem with it and you are not okay with this, that's on you. You're a bad person. This Democratic Party they would have told us even, even five years ago, they would have said, no, they're, they're not, we're, not going to, we're not going to have government health care for illegals. Now, now think about what that means. If you come to this country now and you're an illegal from, say, Central America, which is where we have this massive inflow of migrants, and I've been down to the border to cover this and speak to them and see as much as I can of what's happening. If you can just get to the southern border and you have a child with you, you are now, according to the Democratic Party, you should be guaranteed entry to the United States. You should, never be de- you should never have to go through a legal process where you will realistically face any threat of deportation or even sanction, even paying a fine. You get to stay in the country. You're going to get free health care. If you have a child here, you will immediately benefit from the full, the, the full range of federal welfare programs. And Democrats fight like mad to make sure that you can't shut that off from people who are benefiting from that, you will never be deported. How is this not open borders? If you can come here, guaranteed to stay, don't have to have any any uh, immigration processing other than I'm here, and you get to stay, and you're going to get federal benefits paid for by the taxpayer that you have no say in, that feels like open borders to me. This is This is the... This is really the end of America, folks, if they do this, if they get away with this, if this ends up happening, if anyone can just come and stay and and help themselves to money that comes from you, which means really your labor and your time is now being seized by the federal government to be given to people who do not obey our laws, who do not care. And I know we're supposed to believe that they have some cultural affinity for america and they're here just because they love it so much or they're here because it's where the best welfare stuff is that happens too go speak to some swedes about some of their mid-east refugees and how much they've adapted to swedish culture there are whole areas where you won't hear anyone speaking swedish and you have a lot of people who hate the swedish state but they're living on the welfare rolls we have an assimilation process In this country that has been going on for a long time that is based on people coming in in an orderly and legal fashion. And there are stops and starts to it. There are ups and downs, inflows and cessations of those inflows. Now we are to believe that after the largest surge in immigration in overall numbers in the history of this country. Stretching back for decades and with a million a year coming in from Central America. You know, it's not that expensive to fly to Mexico from some third country. I have seen Cubans and Bangladeshis and Pakistanis. And, you know, you see people showing up at the border from now all over the world. When when is it too much? When do we become a laughingstock? Find me another country that has this policy. Find me another country that says, come here, just show up. And we'll you don't even have to do it the way we tell you to do it. You just show up. And we'll give you free stuff. And, and by the way, one of our two major political parties will tell you that you are owed this. And anyone who says you're not owed it is a xenophobe and a racist and a bigot. And you should dislike them and feel like they owe you even more.
2: Hmm. It's
1: Not exactly a recipe for a harmonious society they're setting up, is it? Remember the remember the the fundamental question of the day, if the Democrats were trying to undo and ruin this country within the parameters of what could get enough votes that they'd be in power. Right. So not just I'm not saying they're going to, like, seize the nuclear silos and fire them on on Oklahoma. I'm just saying if they were trying to seize power with a platform where they one could achieve power and two could destroy the country, what would they be doing differently? I think last night with what we saw on immigration, it's a very hard question to answer, never mind all the other stuff about the socialism and the social justice and all the rest of it. We have a very packed show, as you might have guessed, friends. So stay with me.
4: People who have who come to our country and want to be admitted have to meet certain standards. That's the way it is. Uh, But it isn't, uh, and I've had this conversation with my Republican colleagues frequently, it shouldn't be a crime to have a visa, uh, to have a status violation. If somebody commits a crime, or is guilty of a crime, uh, and, and they're in our country, prosecutorial discretion would warrant that they, or justify that they be sent away so nobody's saying it people are but if you overstay your visa or you're coming in as this family would have been coming in but they had narrowed the number of people coming in through the ports of entry so they were coming in not through the ports. and that's not unusual
1: democratic candidates this is democratic party folks open borders that's what they are if it's not a problem to overstay your visa guess what madame genius Who's going to go through the immigration process? Why put yourself through all the years and the lawyers and the man hours and everything else when you can just say, oh, I'm just going to get a visa to visit and I'm going to stay? Why not? When you stay beyond your visa, you are effectively breaking a promise to the government that you're only here for a certain period to do certain things. This is why they don't believe in consequences. Or maybe they do and they just realize the real consequence here is by not enforcing the laws, the Democratic Party will be in power forever, and the Republican Party is finished. I mean, I think that is what they want. That is what they get excited about. But they have to own this now. They have to be honest about it. They can't hide from this anymore. I mean, you've got, uh, speaking of owning things and being honest and not being able to hide from it anymore, uh, the border crisis, for example. <laughs> the border crisis. Mike pulled this one for me. This yeah. is here, here is, we'd like to do a little, a little Don Lemon versus Don Lemon on the border. Fifteen
5: is manufactured it's a manufactured crisis a non-crisis at the border that's really not fooling anybody and for anybody who doesn't think immigration is a crisis a deadly serious crisis a humanitarian crisis i got to show you this picture it's a shocking devastating picture it's a father and his nearly two-year-old daughter they drowned at the u.s. mexico border father and daughter drowned on sunday as they attempted to cross the Rio Bravo, that is what the immigration crisis looks like. All of this, this whole mess, is manufactured. It's a manufactured crisis. I mean, a so so you know, so it's a non-crisis.
1: Event. It's manufactured, he says on one hand, and then and then he says it is it is a crisis. By the way, what's the Rio? He meant the Rio Grande, I assume, right? Yeah, he Is, is, that anyone, know what he's is the about. Rio Bravo? So I anyway, mean, whatever. Yeah. Um, seems like Democrats have had to come around on on the reality of what's happening down there. I think it's also time that we don't let them get away anymore with uh, how they're open borders. If they want to be open borders, they just need to say that, and then we can have that national discussion. But when you don't believe in enforcement and everyone gets to stay and everyone can cross, that's open borders, folks.
0: He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back.
1: Turns out the Rio Bravo is a thing. Producer Mike, what is this? I thought it might be because that's such a—that's not even close to Rio Grande. So the, the, that's what it's called in Mexico.
4: Yeah. So the Rio Grande, uh, otherwise known as the Rio Bravo del Norte, is the Spanish version. And there's—you know—they can't. There's an actual article in the Dallas Observer why people call two things and how they can't come to an agreement on it. So yeah, man. Huh. Yeah, that's, <laughs> Hey, man, Don Lemon, right on point. Dude, <laughs> you, you question the lemon at your peril. An accidental, uh, was, it, was it the, 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 the s- saying, accidental uh, journalism on Don Lemon's part?
1: You, you question you question lemon at your peril. Exactly. Um, and one, just one more thing on the, on the border before we get back into the debates. Uh, Ilhan Omar kind of represents, I think, the, pretty well the far left position on what's going on at the border. You know, we just spent four billion. We're spending four billion dollars of taxpayer money as an, to deal with the emergency at the border, and we're trying to send, you know, more resources, which means more foods, more beds, more personnel, more medical services. All of this. This is money that is coming from the U.S. Treasury. This is money that you are paying into the Treasury with your taxes every single day, and we're bad people because we're not doing enough. This is what it is with libs. We're never doing enough for non-Americans. We do. But we do plenty. You know, we've we got it. We've got a veteran homelessness crisis going on in different cities. We've got opioid crisis going on across. We're losing 70,000 of our fellow Americans a year. How much interest do you see from libs to deal with the opioid crisis, which is still still killing 70,000 people a year? OK, how much interest and outrage you see in them dealing with that versus what's going on at our southern border? You know what separates families? A drug overdose. It separates them forever. Way less interest in tackling that problem from from liberals. Because there's no, they don't see a political advantage in it. If they did not see political advantage in what was happening at our southern border, they would care a whole lot less, if not at all. Ilhan Omar, though, wants us to know that we are not Generous enough. We do not do enough for the illegal aliens coming into this country. Play 18.
2: Nothing we did today makes sure that any of the money we send would be used to make sure that kids have a proper place to sleep, that they are no longer going to be in cages, that they're going to have proper care. We had that opportunity. We had an opportunity to uh, put forth a humanitarian policy, and um, we wasted that opportunity. And it's quite sad, and I hope that um, Americans are as appalled as I am.
1: Americans are as appalled as she is. The demagoguery never stops with the left. You know, we, 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 remember, the Democrats were the ones that were holding up this bill initially. And now the Democrats are doing what exactly? Complaining that it's not enough money. You know, they don't want any enforcement. If you want to stop the problem from continuing, you have to convince people that they should not keep doing this. They don't want The Democrats don't want to do that. They want this to be exactly as it is. We all know why. We do not have a partner in the other party in handling the immigration crisis. They believe in expanding it. And continue it. They think that this should really be the status quo. But let's get back, shall we, to the. The craziness of it. That was Ilhan Omar. She wasn't up there on the debate stage last night. Let's go. Oh, wait, wait. Before. Bop, 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 There's one thing here. Hold on a second. So uh, we had a little Spanish. We had to clarify some Spanish there with Rio Grande and Rio del Norte, but somebody else needs a little Spanish clarifier. Uh, Bill de Blasio down in Miami decided to go Fulce Guevara on People Gathered Together. Late twelve, ah, uh, thirteen,
0: thirteen. Hasta la victoria
3: siempre. System, since we will be with you every step of the way. Bring home a victory for all working people. God bless you all.
1: Hasta la victoria siempre. Hmm. You mean Bill De Blasio likes to go down to Miami, where you have a lot of. Cuban exiles, uh, people that fled Cuba because of the destruction visited upon that tropical island by Marxist ideology and the the terrors of totalitarian communism. And Bill de Blasio, that big goof, gets up and quotes Che Guevara. Che Guevara, who still is a figure that the left is beloved and left, even though he used to set up the guys for the firing squads and uh, horribly persecuted political dissidents, uh, persecuted gays was a really bad guy, really really bad guy. But the left still, you know, it's kind of like they're they still have a you know a little bit of fondness for Karl Marx, and I think a lot of leftists still have a little soft spot for Stalin too. I'll be honest with you, it's there. But there uh, Che Guevara that did not do well for Bill De Blasio. So at least there there was not as much pandering in Spanish language last night, if, if I recall. I did not see as much of that. You do not have Cory Booker who was like, uh, como está? Yeah, M- uh, me, a- me amo, uh, Cory. I don't know. how to speak Spanish. How do you say my yeah. name? M- mi- me, llamo. me, me That's right. Yeah. yeah. Me amo Cory Booker. Yeah. He's like, the king of
4: awkwardness. Thanks, thanks Cory. Spartacus. Yeah, gotta but, love
1: him. I know, in, I know in Italian, it's me, That's, you know, me, Buck. Although, if you said me, Buck, they're like, what is that? It's not a name. All right, now back to the debate. We had uh, some interesting stuff going on here. Kamala Harris when Kamala had her big night last night. Everybody was all ooh, Kamala because the media has been waiting for it. We'll get into some Kamala stuff in the next hour. We have Jesse Kelly's going to join us later on the show. He's a buddy of mine, and uh, he he's he's been a very early um because he's a very early proponent of Kamala Harris's. We we have to like watch with Jesse. Jesse, you're a married man. You got to watch what you say. Yeah, he's a fan. He's a big fan of Kamala. Always, always has been. Um, Look, I was—I used to say sometimes you know I thought Kristen Cinema had her moments, you know, in that race too. But uh, he's—he's a Kamala Harris. He's a Kamala Harris fan. So uh, here's here's what Kamala said though. When when we you had the same question posed the first night, you had them all uh, ask, "What's the biggest threat?" And at least four of the ten said. Climate change, which in a world where you have radical Islam, a rising China, nuclear weapons. I would even take if somebody said that they thought the biggest threat to this country was uh, a a pandemic, pandemic disease. At least there is a historical precedent for that killing 40 million people in the 20th century. So I would say that that's. You know, that might not keep you up and night right now. But if you talk to anybody who knows anything about pandemic disease, they would say that actually we're kind of due for one. And it right. would with the with the with the way our transportation system works now and the, the density, population density, we would get if we had a flu virus that was true, that was uh, had, a, had a high lethality rate. I mean, it would be very bad news. So yeah. that would be like I'm not saying that should be the answer. I'm just saying that's an answer that that a non crazy person can give or opioids Oh, I mean, oh, opioids is a national emergency. Absolutely. We're losing 70,000 people a year. You think about a, a, a huge packed football stadium full of people who will not be here next year, who are lost to their families, many of them lost in their late teens, in their early 20s. That's a crisis. These are thank you, Mike, for the opioid. That's, I mean, these are the things that real people worry about. One of the one of what the defining characteristics of the Democratic Party is they have so much focus They look so much at things that normal people don't worry about. It doesn't keep me up late at night if there are 37 genders on the application to college or if there are two. There should be two, but if they want to do 37, I mean, I guess crazy can be fun. But it it doesn't really matter all that much. The things that really do matter, they often put aside or they have these, these very vague and emotion-driven responses about. And then there's this whole slew of issues that for the Democratic Party are so, oh, they they talk about voter suppression like it's happening. Voter suppression is the figment of their imagination. Oh, dark money in politics. Well, what does that even mean? Oh, the risk to our democracy, undermining our institutions. What? Who's worried about this stuff? This isn't real. This is all just perception. This is manufactured in the swamp and in the media Mainstream media uh, newsrooms and in Hollywood, this this isn't real. And then you get when you get to climate change, the fact they've they've we're talking about a a decoupled nonlinear chaos system of global weather, and they think that that's the biggest that we can predict. That this is the biggest threat we face, even if some of their predictions are true. You know, Charleston, it's a great city. It's you know losing some ground. You know. Places have been losing ground to the ocean for a long time. Erosion happens. All this has been going on for all of history. But we'll adapt. It'll be okay. It's fine. There are ways to ways to figure this stuff out. We've overcome this before. You know, it it would have been a, a rational position to say in the 19th century that human beings are going to outpace the food supply and there'll be mass starvation and die off until they then because they could not foresee genetically modified crops and the advances in transportation and refrigeration and science and all that. They couldn't foresee that. But they could foresee that there are more and more people every year. We don't, they don't, these people that are all freaked out about climate change, they don't know what's going to, what the world is going to look like in, in five years, never mind 50. What kind of technological breakthroughs there will be. The way, you know, Yeah, at some point there will be clean energy when it's efficient and smart and that's what people want and that's what they're going to do. We're not going to be it's not going to have to be forced on us because people will choose it because it is the right thing to choose. But we're not there yet. That's why when we talk about the greatest threats. You know, I mean, here's Kamala Harris answering that question about the greatest threat. And there are a bunch of Green New Deal or uh, or, you know, climate change is the biggest threat. I think the Green New Deal is the biggest threat in some ways. But uh, here's what Kamala said for it.
2: What is immediate and before us right now, that is why I support a Green New Deal. It is why I believe on day one and as president will re-enter us in the Paris Agreement because we have to take these issues seriously. And frankly, we have a president of the United States. We talked about, you asked before, what is the greatest national security threat to the United States? It's Donald Trump. And I'm going to tell you why. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I agree, climate change... Represents an existential threat. He denies the science.
1: President Trump is the greatest national security threat to this country. The sitting president of the United States. This is such a reckless and stupid thing to say, and many Democrats say it. The most powerful Democrats in the country will say it. President Trump, meanwhile, has not started any wars, has not been uh, bested in any major military crisis on the world stage. Uh, You know, what's we have not been hit with a mass casualty terror attack while this president has been in office. So I, I just I would like to know, can we can we base our assessment of national security risk upon reality or this fantasy land? Because the reality based assessment would say this is a president who has avoided unnecessary war, who has avoided politically driven escalation in war zones, who has not risked all kinds of policy, decades of policy in some vain search for trying to, you know, have a national security legacy like Obama did with Iran. How he's the threat. If he's the threat, I'm, the establishment terrifies me. But this gets cheers. This gets applause from the left. You no, know, remember this, the 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 commander in chief who what was it now a week ago could have Launched strikes that would have killed about 150 people in Iran and possibly and there were experts and wonks and all saying, oh, yeah, you got to do this. You got to be tough. You got to you, know, you got to smash Iran, they say. The man who said, I don't want to do that, I'm going to walk back from that, let's let's Iran didn't kill any Americans with this strike. Let's see if we can figure this out another way. They're going on a debate stage in front of tens of millions of Americans last night and saying that that guy, that commander in chief is the biggest threat to our national security. These people are sociopaths and they really have a problem. It's like they've learned nothing from Iraq and Afghanistan and the war on terror and, and what it really means. When we do get involved in something that we either shouldn't be or that is not being managed well by the president, not being managed well by the, the permanent bureaucracy, the cost to real people, the cost of people like you and me who li- who, who are right now living in a country that is not in a state of Constant war that is not losing, although we did lose two in Afghanistan this week. I keep saying, you know, when are we going to when is it enough, folks? When is it enough? But that's a conversation for another time. President Trump is the biggest national security set, a national security threat. Only people who are completely nuts or total liars would say this. But this is what all the Democrats basically say. Trump and climate change. If Trump and climate change keep you up at night, you are emotionally disturbed. That's the truth. We'll be back.
0: The Republican Party likes to cloak itself in the language of religion. Now, our party doesn't talk about that as much, largely for a very good reason, which was we are committed to the separation of church and state, and we stand for people of any religion and people of no religion. But we should call out hypocrisy when we see it. And for a party that associates itself with Christianity... To say that it is okay to suggest that God would smile on the division of families at the hands of federal agents, that God would condone putting children in cages, has lost all claim to ever use religious language again. Vice President. Uh,
1: Pope Pete, as they're calling him now, he is a sanctimonious pain, uh, pain in the neck. First of all, no one says that God would smile on the separation of, of parents from their children. But does he have this degree of sanctimony when people who are involved in minor administrative infractions against the state that involve criminal penalties are separated from their families? People who are engaged in insider trading, people who maybe do a little, uh, you know, a little, little business fraud of some kind, tax evasion—they get separated from their families. Is that the Democrats? They smile, at, but it's a straw man. No one says they that the. Smiling, But I want to know for, for Mayor Pete, because he seems to like to invoke religious language sometimes when it suits him in a very smug and annoying way. What does he think about uh, the Democratic Party that now pretty much universally and across the board believes that uh, something that is in a w- woman's womb at nine months that has a, a brain and a heart and, yes, a soul is not a human being and can be destroyed and ripped apart at will and should be paid for by the American taxpayer against their will? What does God smile? I want to know that. If Somebody should ask Mayor Pete. Does God smile on Planned Parenthood, Mayor Pete? Do you like that? Do you tell God that it's a woman's choice? She's going to do what she wants with her body. It's a constitutional right. All the nonsense, all the talking points, all the lies. Where's Mayor Pete on that one? You know, you're going to use the religious language, Mayor Pete. You got to watch out, my friend. That can that stuff can come around to bite you. Oh, and also, why do you have one of the worst murder rates of any city in the country in South Bend, Bend Indiana? I think that's a, a question that somebody should probably ask Mayor Pete at some point. So brilliant. Can't seem to stop the murder rate. There's a
3: lot of talk in this primary about new government benefits, such as student loan cancellation, free college, health care, and more. Do you think that Democrats have a responsibility to explain how they will pay for every proposal they make along those lines?
2: Well, let me tell you something, I I hear that question, but where was that question when the Republicans and Donald Trump passed a tax bill that benefits the top 1% and the biggest corporations in this country, contributing at least a $1 trillion to the debt of America, which middle-class families will pay for one way or another? Working families need support and need to be lifted up. And frankly, this economy is not working for working people. I am proposing that we change the tax code. So for every family that is making less than $100,000 a year, they will receive a tax credit that they can collect at $500 a month. On day one, I will repeal that tax bill that benefits the top 1%. Uh, Just just. A big giveaway of
1: money and free stuff and free, free, free and rich people bad and class warfare and what a mess. What a mess it was last night hearing these Democrats talk about what they want to do and uh, how they're going to do it. Well, the how is always very fuzzy, right? The how is always uh, just a a mishmash of, well, rich people and one percent and this and that. And uh, she says that. They're going to uh, is the GOP tax cut. How do you pay for a tax cut? This is this is the inversion of logic and the abuse of language that we always have to deal with when we talk about when we're talking about what the Democrats are proposing. You keeping more of your money is not paying for. That's not a paying for anything. That's you keeping more of your money. We don't pay for tax cuts. Now, you can say we should not be running a a. Uh, deficit every year and that's fine but that's a separate part of the That that's a different approach to the issue than oh we need to find a way to pay for it because you had a lot of money that went back to a lot of people under the tax cut over 80 percent and this is just this is a fact thing over 80 percent of people who paid taxes received a tax cut now I'm somebody who really does get tired of Democrats pretending like the tax burden is not already onerous in this country because it is. You know, if you if you ever look at how much you pay in taxes, when you add it all together and you think about how many hours that means you are showing up to your job and you are effectively sending all of that cash in an envelope to Uncle Sam And if you're somebody who's working hard and working long hours, you know, you're paying a lot more than you're getting back in services. With all of that going on, they still think that our taxes need to be higher. They still think that we have to pay more of our fair share, whatever that means. Uh, It's just it just drives me nuts. But, you know, this is what they're really all about. Class warfare, the removal of individual responsibility away from people. You know, you you can't you have no economic mobility. You can't raise yourself up. You can't make better decisions to improve your lot in life. It's on the government to do this. You know, this the language that they use is very instructive. An economy that works for everyone. The economy doesn't work for you. You work in the economy. And the problems with their economy tend to come from government intervention and regulation, not just. The way things happen to be because of the free market, Um, you know, the the government. And this this is why if you haven't read it, I I mean, I do recommend The Road to Serfdom by by Hayek, which I know Glenn Beck, my old uh, mentor and boss, very much popularized some years ago. But Hayek just walks you through how with every government action in a market, there are additional things that happen there. There is a there is an imbalance that occurs the government does tells you has to do this thing and then something else happens and then the government says well we are going to fix that imbalance and then they do something else and they do something else with market intrusion comes more market intrusion and they always want to fix what they've done in the first place to create those dysfunctions and they don't fix it they just create more dysfunction this is why you want the absolute minimum of market interference Because the way the way that we have our our economy set up and and the, the the genius of the American system is that you benefit from good decisions, responsible behavior, being law abiding, thinking about the future and and trying to work with work within the system that we have as as productively and effectively as you can. And you will benefit from that at different levels. Look, would it be nice if I were born? To, you know, a family that had a billion dollars and I didn't have to ever worry about. Yeah, sure. Is it fair that there are people that are born into really wealthy families while other people are? Not? No, it's not fair, but it is what it is. We have to deal with the real world, with private property, with the imbalance of luck and talent. Look, a huge part of success is luck. I mean, that's one. Th- I wish Republicans would make, would make more of a case of this just so that because what, what Democrats suggest all the time is, oh, but, you know, if someone's doing really well. They're, they must have cheated and they must be greedy. Now, they don't think that about people who are Democrats who are really rich, of course. But they say this in, in general terms. There's this bad other people, the bad rich people out there. They're greedy and they have things and they have too much. Now, this is the class warfare, the envy streak that is so central to the Democrats and to their whole ideology. I, I would like to see Republicans not just make the case that, you know, this is a country where you have so much good that comes from individual ingenuity and hard work and that we we have the companies we do and the economy we do and the advances we do because people benefit from it, right? If you want to see what happens when we're all just doing it for the common good and no one benefits individually, go see what the Soviet Union was like. But because we do have incentives for individuals, we all benefit as a result and we all can benefit too, but also there's luck involved in it. Not everyone's going to be a millionaire, folks. You can play your cards right, do everything the way you're supposed to do. Not everyone's going to be a millionaire. And a lot of people would say, yeah, I don't even want to be a millionaire. And there's there's some very interesting studies out there about how, you know, you, you need, depending on where you are, uh, you know, you need a certain amount of money to meet your needs. And money does make you markedly happier up to that level. Um, and I think at a national level, it's something like, you know, that when you make when you're making 50 and then you make 60, that extra 10 grand, I mean, you really feel that that really helps when you are making 60, then you make seven. But once you get up to 70, it starts to level off a little bit. And I think the 70 number don't don't hold me to that. But it's something like that. Once you get up that 70 number, you know, okay, well, now you make 80. It's nice. We make 90. It's not, you know, and you go up the ladder and it doesn't necessarily make you happier. It might make you more financially secure, but it doesn't make you happier. And that's, you know, we're not I think part of the problem here is that with the Bernie Sanders, you know, millionaires, the billionaires, it's like, yeah, you can tax the millionaires and billionaires all you want. It's not going to make everybody else a millionaire. It's not going to make everybody else feel like they're way ahead of things and they're just crushing it in life. So they're tapping into this sense of of envy and, and resentment and they're not replacing it with anything that's going to make your life better. If I thought that single payer and Medicare for all was going to make the lives of people listening to this radio show easier, your bills would be easier to pay, and you'll be happier, I would tell you that. If if I really believe it, but I can, what I can tell you is that the problems that I see in our healthcare systems are the incentive structures that are in place that are being constantly undermined and pushed aside in favor of this redistributionist; someone else is going to pay for it. Healthcare is a human right—nonsense. If you want to see who the real bad guys are now in the healthcare system, it's not uh, a, a lot of the insurers are actually nonprofits, which people forget. They took all the insurance company profits. Insurance company profits are pretty slim. If you want to know where you get R E K T wrecked in the healthcare system now, it is hospital systems. Hospitals will ring you out and leave you with nothing and and even if you have insurance and you have increasingly you have all this consolidation because of the bureaucratic costs and Obamacare and all this other regulation all this stuff so that doctors get bought up by these hospital systems this is I was when I was traveling in China I was with a number of, of surgeons I was talking about this doctors get bought up by these hospital systems so now you're going to see your specialist in the hospital but the moment you need real hospital services you are just getting this is where you see the crazy stuff where you know an advil is like forty bucks and you know I I mean I'm some I speak of what I know I went into an emergency room didn't even get seen by a doctor they took my blood pressure and my temperature and sent me a bill for a thousand dollars that my insurance did not pay for even though I had insurance and I was at a hospital that was in my network because it was not, not a deductible you wonder who's being greedy that's now the hospitals would turn around and say but buck we have to we have to see anyone who shows up the ER, we gotta treat all the illegals who come into the ER, we gotta treat all the people that, you know, are on Medicaid and you know there's all these other Yeah, exactly. But this is not the market that's not working. These are mandates from the government. But no, just just tax people more, just tax them more. That's gonna fix it. It's gonna fix the whole thing. You know? say, oh look at Canada. Yeah, Canada has like less people than the state of California. You think we're going to create a national health care system in this country that's going to function efficiently? I mean, Bernie Sanders' whole thing is that you're going to save more money. You know, you're, you're going to get more even though you're paying more in taxes because the system's going to be better. That's just crazy. That's not true. But the government all of a sudden is going to be efficient? The government's going to provide you with better services? Has he ever dealt with the government before? I mean, the guy works in the government. you think he'd know something about it. Just lies on top of lies, misdirection. And just counterintuitive, you, you know, the things they're saying are not true, but they will keep saying them. And Kamala just suggests that, you know, all we have to do is tax the rich more. They'll pay for everything. You know who the rich are, folks? You.
3: Everything I've done in my career, I ran because of civil rights. I continue to think we have to make fundamental changes in civil rights. And those civil rights, by the way, include not just only African-Americans, but the LGBT community. But, but have-
2: Vice President Biden, do you agree today? Do you agree today? that you were wrong to oppose busing in America then.
3: Do you agree? I did not oppose busing in America. What I opposed is busing ordered by the Department of Education.
2: That's why we need to pass the ERA because That's there are moments in history where states fail to preserve the civil rights of all people. Supported.
1: That was the moment, folks. That was when the the ambush was unleashed. The trap had been set. It was very, it's very clear to me, at least, that uh, Kamala was planning on going after Biden all night. That this was not. Uh, this was not something that just organically happened. But I've been I've been telling you all along and this is not difficult analysis to do. I think this is this is pretty clear and, and widely, widely understood, widely believed that there are really two main pathways here to the nomination. There's the establishment path and there is the progressive or left wing socialist path. Now, you might be saying, but Buck, even the establishment Democrats are, yeah, I know, but within their own crazy town left wing universe, there's different levels of left wingness, of, of, of left wing uh, adherence, how far left you are. And you have really the, the race is in, on the one hand between Warren and uh, Warren and Bernie Sanders for the progressive nomination. And then you have on the other side, the the realistic options for the establishment pathway are uh, people like Buttigieg. Biden's obviously very top of the list. Cory Booker, Kamala Harris and that. And then everybody else really who's in this whole thing at at this point, they're just there to get some national level attention. And, you know, no one, including Eric Swalwell, thinks Eric Swalwell is going to be president. I think that's that's very obvious. Uh, but this moment where you had Kamala go after Biden, this had been brewing for a while. You know, the media had been a part of this. They had they had run. they had really given a lot of oxygen to the story about how Biden said that. Remember, he didn't praise. And so there, there's a little bit of uh, disingenuous or dishonesty in the way this has all been set up. He didn't praise segregationists per se. He said he was able to. Uh, he was able to work with everybody in the Senate across the aisle, even at a time when there were people like that. So he's essentially saying, I was able to be an effective senator while there were segregationists in the Senate. Now, segregationists are gross, and I, you know, it's fine to, fine to totally take them to task for, for what they were so very wrong on. But Biden wasn't saying, oh, these segregationist guys were great. That's not what he said. But that's. Somehow what the media narrative, and that's certainly what Kamala Harris was suggesting at some level, that that, that's really what he was saying um, or that he was implying or suggesting it. And this was the real moment that you knew. And I've been telling you all along, Biden is not the guy. All right. He's not going to be their guy. He's he's a third tier Democrat presidential candidate. He was in 2008. He is still now. Biden is not the guy, but you know, he he would have had to really come back and, and have something special because what, what what Harris did was essentially in one fell swoop show that Biden's old, out of touch, been around forever and is basically a boring old white dude who says whatever he has to say to stay in the good graces of the Democratic Party at any time. And it's time for it's time to move on. That's really what she was able to do. And she she went for it. She was not. mad. And also, he's not woke. He doesn't understand social justice. He doesn't understand all this left wing stuff. You know, this this left wing ideology that's constantly mutating. And Biden had a moment to go back and, and try to write the ship. And here's how that went. Play seven.
3: I'm thirty seconds because I want to bring you know, other people I, reported, into this. I supported I the ERA in. from the very beginning. I'm the guy that extended the Voting Rights Act for 25 years. Anyway, my time's up. I'm sorry.
5: Thank you, Vice President. that
1: yeah, was that was kind of whipped dog mode there for Biden. He's like, oh, uh, let's just let's just get out of here. Let's just get out of here." You know what it was? Sometimes, and you know, I do a lot of things on air, I do a lot of TV and radio, and sometimes you can't really hide your thought process. Sometimes you can't really. Uh, stay away from you know what you're thinking and that whole well my time's up that was oh man that was rough Kamala went for it and, and she may have put herself in a position now now the journos love Kamala and always have that's not that's not a surprise they're gonna try very hard to help her move, because that's what the last night for her was just to, to, to put a move on Biden. And now she's hoping that she has momentum and starts chipping away at his lead in the polls. Because once that begins, I don't think Biden, Biden has no political skills to speak of. Really, he can't turn this around. He's a swamp creature who, you know, gets the votes he needs to win in Delaware. He's been around in Delaware. He's got name recognition. And, you know, he is very corporate friendly and does what he has to do to get things done in Delaware. But he's not a national level political figure. The vice president? Did anybody think that? Oh, because, you know, well, I was going to say, did anybody think that Al Gore should really be president? Apparently, some people did, which they should be really. They should really think twice about that one. Now, Um, they should really have to give give a long explanation for how that was possible. But yeah, it's it's not going to be Biden. That's one of my most, and you know, it's true. It's one of my most confident predictions all along. It's not going to be Biden. So Harris. She, she sees her lane now after what happened last night, which for her is a big move, even if people didn't think that she necessarily won the debate.
3: I'd like to say something about the debate we had last night. And I, uh, I heard and, uh, and I listened to and I respect Senator Harris. But, you know, we all know that uh, 30 seconds to 60 seconds on a campaign debate exchange can't uh, do justice to a lifetime committed to civil rights. I want to be absolutely clear about my record and position on racial justice, including busing. I never, 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 ever opposed voluntary busing, and as a program that Senator Harris participated in, and it made a difference in her life. I did support federal action to address root causes of segregation in our schools and our communities, including taking on the banks and redlining and trying to change the way in which neighborhoods were segregated. I've always been in favor of using federal authority to overcome state-initiated segregation. I don't think that he necessarily turned it around, folks, because showing
1: up after the debate and trying to clarify your position can often feel a little bit like, yeah, you don't get a like a takeback seat here. You don't get a uh, a mulligan. Is that what they call it in golf, producer Mike? When you go again, right? Yes, yeah.
4: yes, it is. Yeah,
1: why do they got to pick on the Irish guy? I'm hey, mulligan. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I think. I think Biden realized that, you know, he got kind of he got his clock cleaned a little bit last night. In fact, over at uh, CNN, which still considers itself a news network, uh, A.B. Stoddard went uh, went after took took Biden to task a little bit. I, I think she uh, I think she was correct in this stuff.
2: I think that he had a
4: terrible night. And I think he has a lot of vulnerabilities that he'll be reminded of. He protected the credit card companies. He supported segregation. He is a physical space invader. He laughs about it. He does not talk about his strength in the race, which is that people are terrified
3: and they want to get rid of President Trump and they believe that Joe Biden is the only person who will be ready to clean up the mess that President Trump has made. He didn't talk about that last
1: night. He doesn't say this is no time to take a chance. I'm the only one on the stage who can A, B, C and
3: D. He just sat there looking terrified of his own 2019 Democratic Party. And if he does that again in the next debate, he's going to lose.
1: Oh, he's going to lose no matter what. I, I actually feel a little I have mixed emotions about what happened last night with Biden, because on the one hand, I think it proved what I've been saying all along, which this guy is out of touch. He's not somebody that is in line with this new woke, really psychotic Democratic Party. I mean, he, he's a guy who used to be he, he was a a sanctimonious left of center pragmatist, but he, he did take a pragmatic approach to things. You know, he, he likes big business. He likes getting corporate donations. He, You know, in, in the in the AOC infused Democratic Party, there's really not much of a room for guys. like There's not much room for guys like Biden. And there's not going to be room much longer at all for any of them. And, you know, Biden forgets that he's part of a political party now where apologizing for white maleness is considered a thing you have to do. You have to apologize for your white maleness. If I were a Democrat, I have to walk around like, I am so sorry that I'm white and I'm male. And I'm like, I can't change it. I'm like, really sorry about it. But that's what I have to do. You got to bend the knee and say, man, it's it's really, uh, there's, there's no way I can make it up to you, America, but I am white and I am male and I accept that that means that there's all kinds of bad things that I don't know, I'm responsible for or whatever. That's the Democratic Party that Biden's trying to maneuver through right now. And I, I just don't think... It's going to work for him. I don't think it's I don't think it's going to happen. Um, He also is very friendly with credit card companies. And I just credit card companies are very powerful and they get away with stuff that other people wouldn't. They there was this whole thing for a while where they used to move around the date on people of when their uh, of when their payment was due. And they would just move the date and they'd give some, you know, some probably mail notification or whatever. And then if you didn't pay on the new date, if you were uh, you know a day late, then they kick up your APR to like 30 percent or whatever it is. I mean, th- it's really it was really fraudulent. And a lot of credit card companies were doing this until just a few years ago. And they never were really called out and punished for it. It's also a lot harder to get rid of credit card debt now than it used to be. You can't discharge it. Uh, so, you know, there, there's real you know, Biden is vulnerable on this stuff. It's true. He's very vulnerable on all of this. And I've, I've known all along that he the moment that democrats realize that he's not the safe choice cuz that's what they've been thinking all along though the moment that that they uh, understand that joe biden is really just a relic of a of a bygone democratic party they're going to turn on him and that's that's what's been happening and the media has been preparing for this all along you know but by my the, the reason that i feel a little bit of too much about this is it's nice to be right but I was very confident. I mean, I, I love the matchup of Biden against Trump. I don't care what the polls say. I love the matchup of Biden against Trump. Because, you know, you, you look at the states that are really going to matter and the people that are, that are undecided and all that, and I just think that you're, you, there's no way that given the power of the incumbency and the success that President Trump has had so far, there's just no way that Joe Biden would be able to come up with a a really effective messaging campaign for why it should be him instead of Trump because ultimately that's what it is. ultimately that's what it is. and yeah he, he looked he also looked tired man there was, he did, there's nothing about him that is or was compelling um, and then there's just Ted Cruz, by the way, I think he had a good he had a good moment on this he wasn't on the debate stage. he's a Republican but here's what he said about last night, and I think it's a good way to it's a good overview of what happened at 12. Speaking of debates, how many of you all watched the Democratic debate last night?
0: I thought I'd turned on Comedy Central. You know, there's actually a medical term for what's happening to the Democratic Party right now. It's called stark raving nuts. Ted Cruz
1: uh, probably shouldn't quit his day job as a comedian, but he's right in his analysis, which is the Democratic Party, I think did seem like it was just spinning off into another planet. And not just Marianne Williamson, who we'll talk more about, (laughs) who is just, oh man, wow. If you haven't seen her, it's worth going back just to watch her answers in that debate. We'll be right back.
2: I'm sorry we haven't talked more tonight about how we're going to beat Donald Trump. I have an idea about Donald Trump. Donald Trump is not going to be beaten just by insider politics talk. He's not going to be beaten just by somebody who has plans. He's going to be beaten by somebody who has an idea what this man has done. This man has reached into the psyche of the American people, and he has harnessed fear for political purposes. So, Mr. President, if you're listening, I want you to hear me, please. You have harnessed fear for political purposes, and only love can cast that out. So I, sir, I have a feeling you know what you're doing. I'm going to harness love for political purposes. I will meet you on that field. And, sir, love will
1: win. I think she wants to hug the president, Mike. I think uh, of all the, the wacky stuff last time, Mary Mary Williamson, I mean, she's... You know that I, I interviewed her? Did you really? Yeah, oh, yeah, I interviewed her uh, down in D.C. Did she give you a hug? I thought... No, but I would have let her. I thought that I was going to be able to get some real questions in that would at least force her to give a real answer. But she is... When you talk to her... It's like all of a sudden you hear wind chimes, you smell incense. There's, you know, like a, a, a light breeze coming in the window, and then like maybe Lilith Fair music comes on. You know, Sarah McLachlan, and uh, and and then you just find yourself falling into this craziness coma you know we we're just like eh, whatever but she wear
4: those uh what are those uh hipster sandals i'm drawing a blank on the name what uh Birkenstocks? yeah they wear birkenstocks that's not a hipster dude those are those, those are what boomers wear with socks birkenstocks
1: yeah. there are a couple birkenstocks wearers listening to this show right now i know who you are i know where you are i had to get my dad to get rid of his birkenstocks like 10 years ago but he loved them he was i feel like he still has them hidden in his closet somewhere because <laughs> they are they are very comfy but yeah no, that was a real 90s 90s kind of grunge hippie thing for a while, uh, but Marianne Williamson was was entertaining for sure. Uh, she was entertaining in part because she is just about as substantive in su- in some of her answers as a lot of the other Democratic candidates up there. She really is not the she's not the only one that just is like, yeah, I just want to like make all the people like better and cool and like things will be great. I just want to give hugs to everyone. It's going to be amazing. So. She was she was a bit on the on the entertaining side. You know, the big beef today was. Yang, they said that they didn't uh, that that NBC cut his mic in the debate and that there was essentially debate foul play going on. And hashtag let Yang speak has been trending on at least on my Twitter all day. Have you seen this? Yeah, I heard about Dude, Yang is I, I like people who have ideas that are real ideas that they can put forward and we can discuss. You know, I'll say this about Yang. In his, I think his ideas wouldn't work in practice. I think there's some huge flaws in them. But he's not, he's not trying to become like a fascist dictator for the left. <laughs> That's, he's not really trying to do that. And you get with some of these other types. You know, they, they scare me. I mean, Elizabeth Warren would look you in the eye after you had lost your house because there needed to be redistribution of wealth and you couldn't afford the taxes to pay for the house anymore, to pay for all the other people's stuff. And she'd look you in the eye and say, well, well I'm sorry, but this is what fairness is. I'm like, you know, if you're a white male, sucks for you. You're, you're on your own. So, you know, I, I think that Yang at least is is better than he's better than that. He doesn't scare me same way. But, you know, if you if you want to know what, what really the whole the whole thing yesterday was about feelings, but also one other thing. Taxes. And they talked about this in the beginning, and it was so clear to me, you know, this kind of brings this closes the loop on the on the whole debate because it was so obvious that Bernie Sanders, for example, when he's asked about taxes, didn't want to talk about taxes, didn't want to discuss tax because it's so much more fun. It's like it's gonna be free, it's gonna be free here, it's gonna be free there, it's gonna be free everywhere. And you say, Well, hold on a second, Bernster. You know, Burner, Burner McBernstein, what's going on here? How are you going to pay for all this stuff? And, you know, NBC did ask some real questions. And this is one of the moments when they asked a, a real question of him. And here, here's what he said. Play clip two.
3: Senator Sanders. I'll give you 10 seconds just to ask the answer. The very direct question. Will you raise taxes for the middle class in the Sanders administration?
0: People who have health care on the Medicare for all will have no premiums. No deductibles, no co-payments, no out-of-pocket exp- out expenses. Yes, they will pay more in taxes.
1: That's not Medicare. So what, what, is, what is Bernie Sanders really talking about? What, what Bernie Sanders is, is proposing, for those who know what they're talking about and those who are really paying attention, what Bernie Sanders is proposing is that we take the part of the budget that is currently on an unsustainable footing that is way too expensive and that is a pretend, uh, pretend paid-for program but is really just paid for by future generations. It's just running up America's credit card all the time and saying somebody else will pay, which is Medicare. What he's saying is let's do this program for everybody and let's make it even more expensive than it is. As in there will be no cost sharing, there will be no paying of premiums, There'll just be the government paying for everything, and this will cause a calamity in the healthcare system because one of the you know I there are folks you know just think about the, the way this works in your own life. You get sick, you you know you think ah you know I don't know maybe I have, maybe I have strep throat maybe I don't. You know, if you're me, perhaps you're a little of a hypochondriac. You think, ah, oh, but you know, strep throat it could be really bad. You can get some kind of, I think you get some kind of weird fever from it, and which is true, you can if it lingers and gets bad. But you know, I'm like, I don't really want to go to the doctor. It's going to cost me with my copay, uh, you know, a hundred bucks to see a uh, hundred bucks or eighty bucks or something. So I'm going to wait a day or two. Oh, day or two comes by, looks like I'll be okay. You know, you gotta you gotta make these kinds of decisions about your healthcare all the time, right? Do I want to go see a specialist? Well, you know, maybe this. Maybe I'll rub some dirt on it and it'll just, you know, the swelling will go down in my knee and I'll see how it goes. You know, people make these decisions all the time. If you can just go to the doctor, just think about it this way for a second. If you just go to the doctor and you pay nothing, you pay nothing. Think about the effect that that's going to have on how much and how frequently people go, uh, or how quickly and how frequently people go to the doctor. And they're not expanding. The medical profession right now, in fact, the people that I know who work in medicine are pretty actively discouraging other people from getting into it. So how do you, you know, how do you deal with this? How do you expand care, not just coverage, right? Coverage is a promise to pay for care. And what they're saying here is that they're going to give coverage to everybody. But that just means the government's going to be stuck with the bill, which means we're all stuck with the bill for each other. But how do you make it so that there is? a greater pool of health care service to give to people so that then you can stay up with the demand. Right. The, 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 here, fundamentally, the, the things that Democrats reject supply and demand, they, they think that the laws of economics, if you have a compelling enough case, if, you, if you're teary, teary eyed enough when you're trying to, you know, get one thing or another thing going, they really believe that, you know, it doesn't it doesn't work or doesn't doesn't go anymore. And they're just wrong. They are just fundamentally wrong about this, but they never learn the lesson. Uh, They never understand that being earnest and really wanting something to be a certain way does not mean it will be that way, does not mean that it will work the way you want it to. And you cannot suspend the laws, the basic laws of economics, just because you give a flowery speech and say that something's a human right or we all have a right— Really, we, we all have. A, do we all have a right to see the best, uh, you know, the, the, the best doctors in the city or the best doctors in the country? How is that going to work? It's not hard to figure out who the really highly respected, highly sought after doctors are, especially when you're talking about things like surgery. And does everybody does everybody get to see the best doctor in the country? OK, how, how do you make that supply available? You know, it, it would be nice if everybody could live in a mansion. Why doesn't everybody live in a mansion? We have the technology. We have the ability to create mansions for everyone. But why don't we? Because we have limited resources, limited building material, etc. So, you know, there you have it. Um, Marianne Williamson was interesting, though. I'll give her credit for that. She's like, I just think that if we build the love rocket ship and we go to Mars, we can find the Martians and show them our love together and that will save America.
0: And everyone's like, what?
1: This lady's crazy, but I kind of like that. I kind of like the crazy that she's putting out there. Her level of crazy is, is, wow, it's at least it's at least entertaining. She's the she's the kookiest of all the Democrats. She's the kind of Kucinich of this cycle, except Kucinich wasn't. He, he was he was weirder in his own way. I think it's, isn't his daughter on CNN now?
4: Am I? Yeah, I think so. Right? She's. Become, I think she is. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's good to have a famous last name. You get jobs in media pretty easily. All right, we'll be right back. All right, so what really happened last night? I've been telling you what I think, but I want to, to bring in somebody for a second opinion. We're going to go to a, a doctor of politics of life of, of the keto diet. Mr. Jesse Kelly joins us now. He is the host of The Jesse Kelly Show, which is on KPRC down in Houston, a wonderful iHeartRadio affiliate. You can follow Jesse on Twitter. Mr. Jesse Kelly, sir, good to have you.
0: It's good to be here, Buck. I love post-debate shows. There's nothing more fun.
1: Yeah, we just get to lean into it. So I, I gotta, I gotta ask you this, man. You know, you and Kamala, people that know you, know that you and Kamala have a little something special. You know that you, you've been, you've been on the Kamala train, not politically, but on a personal level. You are pro Kamala and have been for a while. So, did you have any inclination, any inkling, rather that? that she was going to decide that it was time to suplex uh, Biden off the top turnbuckle? couple things.
0: One, yes, I've been on the Kamala bandwagon for a long time because she's smoking milf hot, and everybody knows it, but nobody wants to admit it. And I value looks above everything else, as most Americans do. But two, I actually predicted this yesterday on my show. In all seriousness, she is... A former DA. People forget that about her. She's the right age to run for office. She has the right look to run for office. And please, don't everybody yell at me. I know she's a communist. I don't agree with her politics at all. But she is, she speaks very well. She has a great voice. She comes off well on camera. And I predicted this last night. I said, you watch. Somebody, probably Kamala Harris, is going to take a big shot at Joe Biden during the Democrat debate in, in night two. Because they had two bucks. You couldn't let the front runner again go an entire night without taking any shots, and so she made all the sense in the world to be the one who was going to slip the knife into his ribs, and she did it, and she did it really well.
1: Do you think that she now has has taken uh, has put herself on the pathway to take the uh, establishment lane?
0: Oh, absolutely. I think I think the nominee's going to be her or-, or Elizabeth Warren, shockingly. But I-, I I I would bet it will be one of those two people. I- I- Joe Biden is too old, and nobody likes to say that because everyone has such reverence, understandably so, for old people. But the bottom line is, at some point, you get too old to climb Mount Everest, and at some point, you get too old to run for president. And he's not the same guy he was for eight years under Obama. He's old and slow. He looks tired. People like Harris are over 20 years younger than him, and they're full of pep. and look, they're going to come for him. You can't survive as a frontrunner with 20 other candidates for a nine-month primary. They're just going to pick you to pieces like a pack of hyenas.
1: Who last night, to you, Jesse, seemed the least crazy on that stage? Because I think that's really the—you have to come at it from that perspective. Who's—because they're all different levels of crazy, or, or, or at least— Fraudulent and, and and slightly insane, but but who was the least crazy?
0: Yang, I, I think Yang. See, that was the first time I realized he's relatively unknown. To be honest, he's relatively unknown to me. And even though he had all these ideas that I thought were absolutely wingnut crazy, he comes off like somebody who's actually put some thought into them. He has ideas that he does think will help the American people. So many of the others either came off really angry, like Buttigieg or Buttigieg, I can't say his name ever, uh, or rehearsed. I mean, as good as Kamala Harris did, I thought that came off completely rehearsed. You know she did that line in the mirror 10,000 times. Yang came off like a young, entrepreneur, wealthy guy who has ideas to fix things. I don't like his ideas, but he came off like a dude I'd have a beer with.
1: Yeah, I you know, I think it's funny, too, because Yang is the he's kind of this outlier guy and people act like, oh, yeah, like he's this radical. He actually stands up there and is like, here's the problem. Here's what I would like to do about it. One of the things that really struck me about all these Democrats on that stage last night is they just say stuff. And you're like, you know, Pete Buttigieg or whatever was supposed to be so smart. When he's asked what the biggest thing is that he would do, I would fix our democracy. That's a stupid thing to say. What does that even mean? Like, Yang says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get rid of the welfare state, but just give everybody $1,000 a month. Everybody gets $1,000 a month. You do with it what you will. You spend that money how you want. You know, you can say that's crazy, but that's a real thing. I will fix our democracy? This is what somebody who just finished the bikini competition says when they're hoping to get a crown.
0: Well, it's somebody without the media scrutiny. Now, don't get me wrong. What I'm about to say I think has shifted to Kamala Harris after last night. But for so long, Pete Buttigieg or whatever, uh, he was the Barack Obama of this race. You remember Barack Obama got so much good graces. He had a paper-thin resume. He had virtually no solid stances on the issues. But because he was the first black candidate, the media felt the need to prop him up. Buttigieg gets that same grace for being the first gay one. He's white Obama. That's who he is. He launched a campaign with no issues page on his website get a page to sell merchandise
1: well look That's i mean he, is, he's he's a guy though that do. i i will he like he, he does he's a he's a veteran road scholar so i i think that he's he's got the the resume thing going for him in a way that none of these other democrats really i mean yeah they've been in office and whatever but they didn't like there's nothing about these democrats like oh that person's like super smart or whatever, right i mean you know joe biden's just been around forever and and yes he's part of the lgbt community so there's there's clearly a Uh, a a diversity component that Democrats get excited about. But he wasn't the only one. I mean, there were a whole bunch of candidates who last night were giving these answers. And it really was like what you'd expect in a beauty pageant. It was, you know, like, I just want world peace. But instead of that, it's I just want a green economy. Like, this is this is unserious. Like, this is the thing that I look at at least Yang not to, like, get on the Yang gang too much here. Uh, but at least Yang is like, this is what I think we should do. You could do that thing, whether it's a good idea or not, as a whole separate conversation. Well, the Democrats, for the most part of that stage, were just saying was, we're just going to make everything. I mean, Marianne Williamson, in a sense, is actually the distillation of the modern Democratic Party because it's all feelings and emotions anyway.
0: I love her. But I, that was the first time I'd ever seen her speak. And after last night, I am on the Marianne Williamson train. I absolutely love that insane woman. I hope she's in every single debate from now on. But here's the question, Buck, and look, I don't want to bring everybody down on a Friday. I mean, it's Friday night, everyone's getting ready to get off work, but isn't that what we are now as an electorate, Buck? I mean, even on the left and the right, aren't we all slogans now? Or what's Donald Trump's slogan? And I love the Donald Trump's presidency. I think he's been great. I'm not ripping on the guy, but what's his slogan? Everyone knows it. Make America Great Again. Are we really above the fix our democracy as a slogan? Of course we're not. Do people want solutions well i don't know how many people want to be told you're too fat you should stop eating so much not many people want to hear that, that that's,
1: that's Jesse this is, the, this is the this is the the great ideological separation between conservatism and and the left these days i mean i don't like saying liberal really because they're not about liberty and it's really a misnomer and i think it's intentional it's misdirection but the great separation ideologically between left and right really comes down to the left is just telling you that all of your bad choices or all of the things that are unfortunate in your life, you have no control over it. It's not your fault. It's someone else's fault. It's actually the right's fault, usually. And the right says, look, like, nothing is perfect, but we're going to try to set up some rules of the road here so that if you make good decisions, you get rewarded for it. That's it.
0: That's, ex- that's it. It's not more complicated than that. So you and I watch these debates differently. I mean, the truth of the matter is people were probably Googling the heck out of Pete jig. In Kamala Harris post that debate, I mean, I, I thought no matter how rehearsed it all came off, that's what they're looking for for the most part. You remember people passing out at Obama's rallies and saying he was going to pay their mortgage and put gas in their car. People believe this insane stuff, especially people who vote Democrat.
1: Who had the was was Biden the one for you who had the worst night last night?
0: Oh yeah, well I didn't see that there's a.
1: I because I think Bernie, uh, I think Bernie looked very. Bernie was lucky that Warren wasn't there to be a direct comparison because Bernie just is like an old man yelling about stuff all the time. It Really, he did not come across as the, you know, they always wanted to be kind of the cuddly socialist that's going to just give you Ben and Jerry's ice cream while he pays for your health care. That didn't, that didn't really translate.
0: <laughs> but Bernie's already done. So I guess I didn't consider him having a bad night because I consider him already done. His one shot was last time. The DNC screwed him and his supporters out of it. And he'll never be back. Frankly, he doesn't even look like a man who believes he's going to be back. He looks like a guy who's putting out ideas that the other candidates will try to one socialist up him for. Uh, Biden unquestionably had the worst night because, look, you don't have to kill God if you fight him. You just have to cut him. And Kamala Harris cut him and cut him deep last night. He's the guy who's had the luxury of having this huge lead the entire primary, Mr. Untouchable. Everyone knows who he is. And he emerged wounded, not dead, but severely wounded. And you watch now; they're going to swarm him. They all smell blood. They're going to swarm him and rip him to pieces now.
1: So you really, your feeling at this point is that it's either Kamala or Warren.
0: I think that's obvious. I think it's easily Kamala or Warren. I would give Buttigieg an outside shot just because I feel like the media is so ready. To, to back him if he can make any noise but other than that i think it's a two-woman race and look we'll see we'll see what it turns out to be we have one big indian and one real one we'll see
1: Yeah, i was thinking it's so interesting because you know we, we all spend all this time thinking about the the polls and the and the way that they're affected or not affected by these debates uh the, the general consensus from the people that just crunched the numbers is that debates really don't move this stuff that that much usually it's not how it works
0: Oh, they, uh, they only move it for politicos, but for, it's the politicos who vote in primaries, and they certainly help people who are going for name ID. That's the thing. I mean, like, my dad doesn't pay attention to politics, and before last night he didn't know who Kamala Harris was just because you and I nerd out on this stuff day in and day out. These debates are all about the frontrunner not hurting himself, which he did, and the no neighbors getting a name, which only a couple of them did.
1: Before we let you go, Jesse, what are Jesse Kelly's weekend summer freedom tips for people what 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 do they need to do this weekend to make sure they get the most out of their days off
0: the pool everybody needs to go to the pool i don't know why everyone has all these tips out there go to the gym and diet and all that other stuff that's what suckers do if you can't tone it tan it just get down to the pool for an hour get a little tan everybody looks better when they're tan
1: jesse kelly everybody jesse kelly thank you so much for joining us here on the buck section show jesse kelly kprc houston Team, we'll be right back.
3: Well, the president himself should condemn it, admit that it happened, which I think 16 of the intelligence agencies have already agreed to, to say. And uh, there's no doubt that the Russians did interfere in the election. And I think the interference, although not yet quantified, uh, if fully investigated, would show that Trump didn't actually win the election in 2016. He lost the election and he was put into office because the Russians interfered on his behalf. So do you believe President Trump is an illegitimate president? Uh, based on what I just said, which I can't retract. <laughs> I'll tell you. I,
1: I think that it's it's one thing for us. You know, it's easy to just uh, pick on Jimmy Carter. He's he was an ineffective, weak president. Now he's an old man and say, oh, he's just Jimmy Carter mouthing off. But the truth is, there you have a former president of the United States who's publicly saying that the current president of the United States is illegitimate, which is in effect that he's not really the president. That's a dangerous thing to be sharing. That's a dangerous thing to be saying. Uh, and I, when I say dangerous, I'm, I'm not talking about physically dangerous, but although theoretically that could be, the, that could be a problem too. But I just mean if, if we're going to have on the one hand all these sanctimonious libs Lecturing us about the need to defend our democracy and all this other stuff, and we're going to have them talking about how we're going to res- restore democratic norms. and uh, I-, I wish that they would stop saying things that are demonstrably, provably false, uh, that the president was doing this or that the Russians did this at the direction of the president. And you know, he's today he's out at the he's at the G twenty summit, and he had a meeting with Putin. and Reporters just they're such babies about this stuff. They always take the bait. They cannot help themselves. They always just decide, oh, you know, it's President Trump, and he said Putin and Putin and this and that. You know, they they completely freak out. And then understand that Trump knows they're going to freak out. Trump knows this is going to happen. He understands that this is the reality of the press corps that he's working with. So he says things that any normal person would be like, all right, he's just kind of messing with them. You know, he's just—he's trying to have a a little bit of a a go at them, and they—they can't help themselves. Like, oh my gosh, he's doing Putin's bidding again. They get so upset about it. Calm down, press. Really, enough is enough. Play. uh, Here's Trump telling Putin, "Don't meddle in the." Now you can't hear it all that well, but he says, "Don't meddle the election." Play, play seventeen. You kind of don't don't meddle meddle in the election. I mean, he's like this, but see, you know, he he's doing it one to poke at the press a little bit, but also they act like him telling Putin not to meddle. You know, they'll complain. He didn't even tell him not to meddle in our elections. He can tell him that all day. Putin's going to go home to the country where he is the sovereign, where he's running the show. He's going to do what he's going to do. You know, having our president tell him don't meddle in our election. Yeah, well, guess what? They could have somebody do some cyber stuff and have plausible deniability and say that, oh, it's a rogue element or whatever. And then, yeah, we have the ability to do something about this or not. Remember, folks, the, the meddling was so severe, was so intense, was so pervasive that Obama was like, yeah, whatever. No big deal. Hillary's going to win anyway. That is the reality. That is what happened. Obama was getting briefed on this. The FBI knew about this. They were all spun up about it. And then when they brought it to Obama, he's like, yeah, well, we, you know, it's not a big deal because it's not a big deal. But then Trump won and then it became a big deal. But here's the you know, this is from the from the G20 summit in Osaka. Uh, you had the New York Times in full freak out mode. Trump and Putin shared joke about election meddling. Sparking new furor. Oh my gosh, Trump and Putin are joking about election meddling. They were having a good time, like old friends reuniting. They warmly shook hands, smiled and chatted amiably. And then President Trump brushed off Russia's interference in American democracy with a joke as President Vladimir Putin chuckled. The first encounter between Mr. Trump and Mr. Putin since the special counsel Robert S. Mueller III reported that Russia conducted a sweeping and systematic operation to sway the 2016 election proved more convivial than confrontational rather than challenge mr. Putin mr. Trump treated it as a laughing matter what do they want him to do folks what is there are sanctions on Russia you know we've they've put in place all these economic penalties what is he supposed to do what is acceptable to, to, You know, to punch Putin in the nose, to curse at the leader of the, the Russian premier. Well, you know, if he did that, then they'd say that he's threatening nuclear war and he's a wild man and he's out of control and all this. They just want to criticize the president. It doesn't matter what he does. Trump says, look, I got a good relationship with the guy. Play 16. We have many things to discuss,
3: including trade and including Uh, Some disarmament, some uh, uh, little protectionism, perhaps, in a very positive way. And we're going to discuss a lot of different things. Uh, We've had great meetings. We have a very, very good relationship. And we look forward to spending some very good time together.
1: A lot of very positive things going to come out of the relationship. So, Vladimir, thank you very much. Thank
4: you.
1: Vladimir, thank you very much. Guess what? Obama said... The tra- you know, that, that he would have more flexibility after his election. The press didn't have a com- complete conniption fit and freak out then. But they freak out now because Russia, 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 they're never going to let it go.
5: Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll call.
1: Friday in the summer, everybody. Woo. It is warm outside here in NYC. Let me tell you. Mark, were you sweaty today on the subway? There's, there's really no sweat like the subway. I'm
3: sweat. sweaty in the winter on the subway. Woo.
1: Man, you look around at people on the subway platform, you're like, oh, are you going to pass out? Because I might pass out. It was hot today. It's hot in NYC. I know a lot of you probably out by your pool, your nice big house. No neighbors around, blah, 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 all really nice, good for you, but here in New York City, stuck in the crush of folks all over, all over this piece. Very, very, very busy on the streets here in the NYC. All right, let's get into it, because you don't care, because some of you are in New York, a lot of you aren't, most of you aren't. Um, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, this is a way to kick it off for the weekend, because producer Mark, everybody's working for the weekend. I don't know if you I don't know if anyone gave you the memo.
3: I have been given it.
1: Everybody's working for the weekend. I do
3: know the song. I know you're trying to make a young joke.
1: Well, it's not a joke if you're going to call it out like a joke, dude, you know. Come on.
3: Well, I you have know. to call you out for it. I'm not uh,
1: it. I know the team the team always likes when you and producer Mike make sure that I keep the dad jokes to a minimum. All right, Christy's up here. Christy writes, "Happy birth." Oh, <laughs> Happy birthday. Happy Friday, buck. You can say happy birthday too if you want. Let me start by saying, please keep the beard. It looks great. And as always, I look forward to your take on Democratic debate number two, socialist uh, bonanza. It's become increasingly clear the left lives in a fantasy land wherein only the government can save us. What troubles me the most is the value they place on victimhood. They have no time nor uh, nor respect for people who value self-reliance and personal responsibility. Two major factors that converted me to conservatism i currently work in the bureaucracy i see firsthand how bloated and inefficient and deeply unfair it is relying so heavily on the government to solve one's problems is not only dumb but frankly a dangerous idea but how do you lure people away from the appealing notion that nothing is their fault they can always blame someone else it is sad and frustrating but my shield remains high have a great weekend christy proud member of the oss or the original saturday Squad. Some of you probably probably don't even know this. I used to do a show on Saturdays for three hours, 12 to 3 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. That was how I got my start in radio. And I worked Monday through Friday plus Saturday radio for about 18 months. And did not, in fact, get paid to do that radio show at all, about 18 months. I was doing a radio show for free. Oh, yeah. That's how much I like radio. Check that out. It was uh, not exactly great for my personal life, but... These are these are the choices we all make. Okay, Harry, Harry, hi, Buck. Still catching up on the podcast this time due to using my Medicare benefits. I have no idea what my open heart surgery will end up costing me, but what the government and supplemental insurance will cover would otherwise probably bankrupt me. I have, of course, paid to Medicare during my entire working life, and as a previous roll caller stated, am still paying monthly premium payments. It is not free. Like any insurance, you really hope to never have to actually file a claim. My wife is still covered under the Obamacare fiasco. And without the subsidy we qualify for, the monthly premiums are four or five times more than what I calculate we would pay for private otherwise. My guess is that I, perhaps most of the cardiac patients on the hospital recovery floor, would not have been there at all under single payer. Left to our chances under rationing, triage, prioritization, or whatever euphemism the socialists would come up with. Who would be throwing whom over the cliff, eh? By the way, the care I received was world-class as opposed to reports of abysmal care at a local competing hospital. Uh, But I will probably never be able to the general public otherwise or from the government, especially under nationalized health care. Keep up the good fight. Thanks for all you do for the conservative perspective. Shields high, Harry. Well, Harry, thank you for the in-depth... Look at what it's like to actually use Medicare. Look, I have private health insurance, and I tell you that I I try to not go to the doctor. And and I rely increasingly on friends of mine who have MDs to advise me around going officially to the doctor whenever possible. You know, this is what ends up happening. You, you create these informal networks because if you just show up, go through the test they want to put you through, submit to your insurance. I mean, I can't even tell you. I went, you know, I went to have, like, my 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 ear looked at recently for something and I got a bill for like 500 bucks. I'm like, what am I doing this for? It's just crazy. Uh, Cause my insurance doesn't, you know, anyway, I, I'm not gonna sit here and bore you with my insurance stories, but it's the same thing for this. is Why when, when Kamala, when she wasn't trying to curb stomp, good old Joe Biden, you know, when Kamala is talking about $5,000 deductibles, she's really talking about Obamacare. That's what Obamacare is a $5,000 deductible. So, you know, I think that's something that, At least, I think some of them go up to six or seven thousand. Which, when you start to think about it, if you put aside as a healthy young person, if if you started putting aside whatever your Obamacare premium is, which is going to be, I think, probably a few hundred dollars a month, and you put that aside into a very basic interest bearing account, and then just save that up into you know then into your thirties and into your forties, you'd have so much more money, and all you'd need is catastrophic insurance. But this all requires. People making choices, preparing for the future and saving and things that folks just don't want to do. Everyone wants, the, everyone wants the government to hold them, hold them close, nuzzle them, keep them safe and warm. Yeah. Sheldon, sorry, I needed some iced coffee there. Some. some people tell me, you know that you know that in Italy, I just found this out. In Italy, you're not supposed to uh, drink a coffee with a milk after 10 o'clock in the morning. You know this? Mark, did you know that you're, you I don't have drink a capp- coffee at all? You have a cappuccino first thing in the morning. The wake you up is like a breakfast, but you know a drink of the coffee after ten a.m. I don't yeah? drink the coffee at all. You don't drink the coffee no. at all. What's up with that? More of an iced tea kind of guy. You're an iced tea guy.
3: Yeah. Oh. I don't like the taste.
1: You know, I never. You know, people always ask me because I have celiac disease. I say, do you miss beer? I'm like, no. You know what? I, I'm. I'm not a, I know. I know this is so anti-American. It's. It's like I'm saying I'm a communist, but I've never really liked the taste of beer. I've never really enjoyed it. You know.
3: It's an acquired taste. I didn't like People it at first. Now that. I like
1: it. Uh, I never. I never really got into it. And I, man, in college, I drank a little too much beer. Got a beer belly. Sheldon writes, "Hey, Buck, sorry I'm late on this comment, saying that I love the team, but I'm very happy to keep their input to roll call. Limit the calls, please. Oh, and your wonderful show keeps me warm and safe at night, Sheldon. Thank you, Sheldon." Your wonderful note keeps me warm and safe at night, and I appreciate it. Um, uh Uh-oh. Jeremy, my man Jeremy writes in, Buck, it hurts my heart and soul to write this, but I have to give the ever-so-slightest hat tip to CNN. They have an article on their website fact-checking the DNC debate last night, and they appear, appear to be actually calling balls and strikes. Some of the fact checks are questionable, but at least they're making an attempt to not be straight up left wing shills. Shields hi, Jeremy. Jeremy, look, if CNN's doing that, I haven't seen this article. I find it hard, but not impossible to believe. If CNN is doing that, well, then maybe CNN deserves a little pat on the back before I give it a big kick in the butt. Uh, Here's what I will tell you, though. Don't confuse their newfound willingness to criticize with a real objectivity. You have to remember that we're in the primary now and the different journalistic outlets and different journalists on a person to person level have their own people that they want. They have their own candidates that they are interested in. And so when they're going to call people out right now, I mean, what you saw last night with Kamala, The media gets all excited. The media really wants it to be Kamala. But the polls are with Biden. So, you know, they're hoping that they can push Kamala into that establishment lane and she becomes the Democratic Party's choice. And she's a minority female. And, you know, all these things happen. The Democrats really want to happen. But they're not criticizing or turning their backs on Biden out of fairness they're turning their backs on Biden because they, they love Kamala more. You see, it's a different thing. It's not, oh, we're going to criticize Democrats now because we are truly willing to be open to whatever in this process. They're criticizing Democrats now because there are some Democrats that they like more. So that's a different that's a different thing that I believe we all need to be aware of. Um, Let's see. Here. Kathy. Buck, love the show. Kathy, the show loves you. On the subject of free college, a lot of kids go to college on their parents' dime. This doesn't inspire them to attend or even graduate. Our government's going to pick up the tuition tab. Where's their incentive to graduate coming from? I think if this insanity comes to fruition, unlikely, I know, the child should be on the hook for the entire bill plus the interest and be forced to make restitution if they drop out or don't maintain good grades. Is it possible to scare responsibility into a generation that can't put down the darn controller, the video game controller, walk up from their parents' basement steps, walk out into the sun, and apply themselves? Your thoughts? Well, Kathy, uh, you know, it's, you're talking about such a large group of people with so many different stories. And, you know, there are, look, there are a lot of folks who are, I think, very clearly doing the right thing and paying off their loans and you know there are a lot of people that took loans out it was the right move for them i mean this is it's a personal decision it's but you know, here's what it really needs to, we need to understand that that higher education at the college level is a is a luxury and is a commodity that not everyone should or not everyone should go to college for four years this is not something that everyone needs to do and if you go You've got to think of it like, well, you know, I would love to own an apartment, right? I'd love to own a home. Uh, I don't own a home in New York City because they are very, very expensive. And I think the market is very high right now. And if I were to save up and buy a home in New York City, I might lose my equity very quickly in a market downturn. So I'm making a choice. Right? If I decided to buy a starter home somewhere in the New York and the tri-state area and I put down you know, 20 percent of whatever that house would be, and then the market corrected, I would not expect the government to repay me for that lost equity because I'm making a decision. And, you know, individual responsibility is something that we can't if if we're going to have an orderly and prosperous and really just amazingly successful society, which by and large is what we have in America, we, we have to continue with a culture of individual responsibility as much as possible, but that's not—that's not sexy in a political way. That doesn't get people excited. All right, we got more roll call in just a moment. Stay right there. It's time for roll call. It is time for roll call. But producer Mike, you going to the beach this weekend? What do you got? Tell me some things.
4: Ah, uh, no beach this weekend. Uh, my Irish skin can't take it. Me too, man.
1: I'm one of these people that goes to the beach and then I just sit there and just put the block all over you know spray that block everywhere and then i want to be in the shade yeah but i want to view the ocean i want to be close to the ocean but i want to be in the shade because my skin gets i get crispy like bacon yeah
4: i do i'm the same way but um i do i am going in august which is probably gonna be hotter than now which is probably a bad move but um and i just got back from san diego where i was spoiled how was that san diego's nice isn't it It's beautiful la jolla hotel tell Living
1: uh, it up. you know. Yeah, producer Mike, we, we, we uh, always appreciate hearing your stories of life in the fast lane. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we have a few more roll calls we'll get to here. David writes, hey, Buck, just try to watch when they see us about the Central Park Five. I only made it through the first 30 minutes. Straight propaganda. Trying to make the police look bad and the black community look like it was victimized, but in a current context. 1989 NYC was very different than 2019 NYC. I'm torn because I enjoy much of Netflix content, but these propaganda pieces are extremely destructive to our society as a whole. Look at the Jesse Smollett situation, obviously constructed to try to make Trump supporters look like demons. It's really sad to see that's the current state of our society. Take care and keep up the good fight. Well, you know, David, I, I've been saying this. I mean, New York, New York was... A city that really felt like from a from the perspective of just dealing with crime, it was a city under siege. It was it was out of control. You people were walking around with a constant sense of anxiety on the streets because bad things would just happen. And it turned around and it feels like a miracle here. But it turned around because there was a, a change in policing and a, really a change in the political will to just say, if you do bad things, we don't care who you are, what you look like, where you come from. If you do bad things, you break the law, you're going to be punished. You cannot, you cannot have an orderly and safe society where people are being told that, well, if they do bad stuff, it's not their fault. It's someone else's fault. And that was the, the general, you know, lib mentality for a long time. That it was, there was some root cause. It was never the fault of the people that were doing the bad stuff. And then you get into broken windows theory and all this other stuff that comes along with that too. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's when they see us is is straight up propaganda. Um, you know, when we had Ann on yesterday, and she was talking about how there was one kid who had a fake ID and was was questioned at sixteen, even though he was fifteen. But they saw his fake ID he had chalked his ID to make him seem older. And you know, the, the cops were questioning him, and the mom comes in, and they make it seem like. You know, this is somebody who clearly, you know, he had a fake ID. They didn't make the fake ID; that it, and they make it seem like it was some trick that the district attorney was pulling. Keep in mind, the district attorney wasn't even there the night of the questioning. Oh, another thing that you would like to—that I wish was in the movie—was the black detective who picked up uh, one of the one of the Central Park Five. Williamson, I believe, uh, was the name of the the suspect, and then the, the person who was convicted. One of one of the Central Park Five. And or Richardson, not Williamson, Richardson. And uh, what he said, what he said would have been, I think, a particularly interesting part of it, which was that he admitted to grabbing a woman and no one knew that this kid had even been involved with anything like that. that that's quite a coincidence for the people that want to explain this away. That's quite a coincidence that somebody would admit to being a part of a rape when the, the detective at that time in that car, the call had not gone out over the radio. They, he did not know there had been a rape in the park. But that kid knew. Seems strange to me, doesn't it? Right. Seems like a weird thing for him to say unless he. But people want to believe what they want to believe. There's still some people that believe these crazy theories about how OJ's not guilty. I mean, those people are not very bright, but there are people out there who believe that. So it's a crazy world we live in. Mike. Great show. Thanks for filling the fill in the void. Uh, you're the only one I enjoy listening to now, aside from the British guy that fills in for Rush. I think he's actually Canadian. Thank you. I enjoy Black Rifle Coffee every morning. Shields high. Isn't Mark Stein from Canada? Yes. Yeah. But he's he's got, I can't even do his accent. He's fine. I've got,
4: I, I can't do it at all. His accent is funky. Yeah, he's lived all over the world. So I think his, like people who have, you know, lived all over the world, it's sort of like accents. It's Canadian. Your foreign anchor
1: man. Your favorite foreign yeah. anchor man or right. whatever. He's, yeah, he does nah, that That's thing. pretty good, actually. Pr- I don't, I, spent time in Australia.
2: I know. He's like, I'm good like that. I got skills. Yeah. All right everybody have a fantastic weekend shield tie